When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, welcome back to Ausbiz as we kick off the call for the next hour or so. We take a look at 10 stocks that you've suggested our expert panel uh, adjudicate on. And uh, today, terrific to have Mark Morland from Team Invest with us. Mark, good to see you, sir. Yeah, excellent to be here. Thank you. And Scott Phillips from Motley Fool joins us as well. How are you, Scott? Koshi, Mark, good afternoon. Very well, thank you, mate. And your good self? Yeah, very good. Were you impressed with good. Standard and Paws coming out with their big tick of approval on the Australian economy? It's a funny thing. Can you imagine a, a country with $100 billion worth of debt in a single year and S&P giving them a ratings upgrade? It just goes <laughs> to show where we are now in the world, right? I mean, go back to 2000 and anything, 2012, 15, and say, what we're going to do is take on $100 billion worth of debt and S&P is going to upgrade the credit rating or at least yeah. upgrade the outlook. I, I, don't know, I don't know how you'd get to that point, but here we are. Look, to be fair, the economy's recovered super fast. We're in a great position. Yeah. There are some businesses and people struggling, so let's not forget those. But, you know, it, 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 contextually, I don't know a country that's in a better position right now than we are. Um, Australia's been called the lucky country. It was supposed to be derisive, but man, we've been lucky. Iron ore prices through the roof. The economy yeah. recovering <laughs> fast. We're in a really nice position. Not, not of course, forgetting those Victorians who are still unfortunately locked down. So we're not yep. all beer and Skittles, but gee, we're in a nice position. We, you wouldn't swap with anyone, would you? Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, Mark, I was talking to my daughter in London last night. It was uh. just, you know, talking about going back to work. She hasn't been back in the office since March last year. Right. Uh, her fiancé is German. His parents have come out of a seven-month lockdown in Berlin. Uh, sort of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? It does, it does. And I think, to, to Scott's point, I think it's a relative issue yep. with Australia. Even though our debt's gone up massively, we came off a low base. Remember when yes. Howard lit, left, we had net surplus with no yep. debt at all. Yep, yep. You know, so now our debt's very much heading on the same path as all, yep. the, all the bad countries, but we're still way behind. Uh, way and behind. Of course, and the interest bills come down. Well, the interest <laughs> bills come down, but that's, 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 that, that's not... Yeah, you can't count on that. Like, there was some right. stupid comment made by one of the uh, Liberals saying, oh, well, they can actually borrow another $1.5 trillion based on the cost of interest rates and our affordability. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. like saying that's like saying interest rates are really low, so yeah. I can I can go and buy another five million and yeah, buy another yeah. house because I'm not going to pay. It's going to cost me bagger all. Yeah. And yeah, then the yeah. trouble is, when interest rates change, yeah, it's yeah. going to be a different story. They've got to pay. But we are very for, lucky, yes. and I think it's very much commodity price driven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've uh, we've got best of all worlds, haven't we? All right, let's uh, get stuck into it. Um, before we get into your ten stocks. I choose a stock of the day that's in the news. And 
Well, a company that we haven't really covered here on uh, on the call, and I didn't know much about it until I, I read their release today, but Aussie pet services company Mad Paws is acquiring one of Australia's largest dog treats and toy subscription business, Gasset Group, better known as the Wagley Club. Uh, Co-founder Justice Hammer says the Wagley Group perfectly complements Mad Paws, not just from a product and strategy perspective, but uh, share the same passion for helping pets to live their lives to the fullest. And you know, I, I did shake my head out at Scott Phillips, but then I thought it is a big industry, this, uh, this pet industry. And the Bureau of Statistics shows that for a lot of people, they spend as much on their pets as they do their children. Mm. Kashi, I think that's exactly right. Mind you, mate, you've come a long way. You just said the phrase, waggly club compliments mad paws with a straight face, mate. So congratulations. Do, do with that what you will. That's yeah, yeah. got to go on the highlights reel, mate. When you, when you come in many, many, many years to retire, uh, that's got to be in the, in the highlights package. Look, so, you're right. Look, I think that's the, the upside here. The potential upside is this is a dramatically growing market and it is huge and going to get bigger. You think about the way we're changing demographically, plenty more people are going to have pets. We're spending a fortune on our pets. Even a quick straw poll amongst the analysts here at The Motley Fool, we kind of talked about who would who would leave their dog even with a with a dog sitter. And two of the guys said, well, look, I wouldn't live with this anybody. I, I want to know who they were. Um, they have become <laughs> members of the family in a way that our, yep. our parents wouldn't recognize, quite honestly. Yep. Um, it's big, it's growing. And that being said, this is a $32 million business, Mad Paws, um, with also a name that, frankly, should <laughs> rule it out from recommendation anyway. Right. But, yeah, um, too small. Uh, you know, it's, it's, one, it's one to keep an eye on, I suppose. It, yep. it may well do well. I like subscription. I like the treats business. There should be high margin. And by the way, should be also very competitive. There's no reason that Amazon or Kogan or Woolies or someone else can't get into this space. Even the pet, the pet exclusive guys, the pet barns of the world. So, it's it's a market. There's something there for it. You'd be a brave person to pick a 32 million dollar tiddler as the winner out of this thing. But strange things have happened. So I, I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't be buying it today, though. I have right. to say, market's um, a bit too new. Oh, well, I think, I think when you said you haven't up. looked at it before, it only yeah. listed three months ago. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it hasn't even got a year. There's zero data. Yeah, zero. Like, right. I, and even as a list uh, going into the listing, whether it was profitable, right. I don't. I doubt. Right. Um, now the other thing, I had a look at it uh, yep. this morning quickly, and uh, as Scott said, 36, 30, well, I've got thirty-six million market cap depending on the current price. It is a tiny company. Yeah. They've just bought this Wagley business. I had a look at that, right. and there was a uh, they had an analyst presentation this morning, so I had a quick look at it, and that has one point five million dollars in sales. And they said is cash flow positive. Cash flow positive means that's code for it's now not losing money, right? right as of right, right now. Right. So in other words, this is a non-profitable business that's just yep. getting into profitability. Yep. And these guys have paid three and a half million for it. Right. Two million in cash, one million in shares. That's a lot of money. A lot of money so for pay, a business that's not making revenue. money. Double, double, yeah, double revenue. That's right. Revenue. Right. Yeah. Uh, now maybe it's got fantastic upside and so on. Now what that business they bought, these guys are Mad Paws is like a platform yep. for, for uh, dog walkers and bad dog sitters and stuff like that. Yep. So they they reckon they've done 180,000 bookings, which I imagine is since inception. Right. You know, as, yep. as, as yeah, a private yeah. company, and then they I assume get X percentage of right. the value of the booking. Yeah. You know, just like yep. an Uber type yep. thing. Okay, no problem with that. I like those sort of models. Um, 
And now they've bought this Waggly business, which is a, uh, it sends out, it's a subscription food and treats business. So they send out a box every month, 45 to $52, I think it is, uh, for dog <laughs> treats and stuff. And they've so got- like, like the Marley Spoon. For yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of that sort right. of model, that, which is fine. Yeah, yeah. And they, they, they reckon they've got 40% gross profit margin. Right. So 60% is product cost. Right. But that doesn't mean much because then you've got all your overheads and they right. didn't break any of that out. Right. Apart from this comment about it's now cash flow positive. Right. So, and that's fine. It's 2,000 clients. So it's yeah. small. And look, they could turn this into a great business, but um, zero way of knowing. Right. Okay. At the moment. All right. So way, way too a bit soon. early. Bit Just early a bit. For you. Just All a right. Bit. Okay. All right. Let's get into, uh, but it shows you the diversity of companies that are listed on the stock exchange. There's something for everybody's interest there, that's for sure. All right, uh, let's get uh, stuck into um, the um, the 10 stocks you want us, the panel to have a look at. And Mark, Rosie wants a view on Altium. Rosie says, crazy day uh, yesterday. Can you really believe people are selling in the 36s, $36, when Altium said that $38 which is the takeover offer that came for it yesterday, was undervaluing the company. Would love to hear the panel's thoughts. Uh, well, the answer is yes. Right. I can absolutely understand it. Right. Um, Altium has done poorly over the last, uh, last couple of years. So it's been, right. Earnings have dropped precipitously. Yep. And as a consequence, they, and they're blaming coronavirus for part of that as well. When an offer comes in like that at $2 or $38, there's no guarantee it'll happen. So it'll be conditional right. on all sorts of things. So some people take the view of, um, I'll, take the, I'll get out now rather than take the chance of, uh, of it coming, of that all happening. The problem with Altium, and we used to like Altium, so uh, I don't like it much these days. Yep. I've never been an investor. And why? What, what uh, because it was a high growth uh, business. We liked, their, business. We, liked, yep. we liked their model until we got to know it better. Right. So basically what they do is Altium provides, um, uh, like a, it's like a CAD system for designing circuit boards yep. but, um, is what they do. Yep. So, and they're, they're global, global market leader, but it's a small segment. So they're, quite, they're not a big yep. business and they, their competitors in the US typically do other stuff as well. So they've got a nice niche, but they're trying to evolve it. And I think the business has been going for 35 years. So even though it's considered as a tech uh, disruptor, it's actually... Was way, it would have been real disruptive back 35 years ago when it was all done on paper and yep. you know, computer, they computerized it. Yep. So it was very innovative. <clears throat> and I don't, we don't see it as being that uh, innovative anymore. They're having to try and reinvent the company and that's, that's been problematic. So, and they, it's hit their revenue. Now the problem is it's priced at, uh, if you look at the uh, uh, PE ratio at the moment, forget the takeover for a minute, it's on a PE ratio of 169. Right. Now the problem with that, is that's 169 years of uh, net profit to get your money back. Uh, the growth rate is currently running over the last six years average at, um, at um, minus 7%. Mm. So earnings have now gone down negative in right. growth. The growth is now negative. Right. Yep. So you, you can't square that, that circle, to say that I've got negative growth rate and 160 PE is yep. absurd. Yep. So if you look at it from a value point of view, if I wanted a 10% return, <coughs> Uh, I, I couldn't pay more than $19.79. Right, okay. Yeah, so it's way out of the money from our right. point of view. And, you know, I think to take over, if they get $38, I think shareholders will be very happy with that and take it. Hmm. Okay, Scott? I completely agree with Mark on the outcome. I'm not as bearish on the business itself, but there is a lot of risk. And I think 
that really neatly sums up why investors are selling at the current price, given the uncertainty of a takeover offer. Really, really brave or crazy brave, depending on what way you look at it, of the of the Altium board, I should say, I was going to say crown board, that's where takeover land, of the Altium board to knock back a 40% premium. That is that is gutsy, right? If if you, someone offers you a dollar forty for your dollar, you say no, no, I'm going to hang around and wait and see if I can get a dollar fifty or two bucks for it. Um, that's a gutsy, gutsy call when the money's on the table right now. They may well be right, but I've got to say it's one of those situations where if the market doesn't think, and to Mark's point, there's plenty of reason to be concerned or at least um, add some risk to your assessment to say, hang on, this business might not be the business we thought we were going to have. We're going to we're going to value it at something less than what Autodesk thinks it's worth. What is coming in and buying the shares, I think, you know, you'd be selling out really quickly. A 10% premium, I'd happily say, look, no, maybe come back to the table. 15%, you might argue. At 40%, the chance that Rodesk walks away, if they do, these shares will crater back to where they started. Now, right. if you're a long-term believer, if you think this is a $40 stock eventually, that's fine. You can you can wait till that value gets realized. And if you're right, there is more money on the table and taking the deal right now. But I have to say, given the, the concerns that Mark's already raised, I don't share them to the same degree. I think they're definite risks. I'm a little more bullish on the long-term potential of the business, but I have to say, if I own the shares today, I'd happily be taking the takeover premium and walking away just because the risk of the downside, maybe they get another 5% by hanging around, maybe another 10%, but there's a 40% downside if, they, if right. this goes badly. For me, the odds just aren't in the favor of, of holding on at this point. I'd happily be taking the money. Okay, so both of you selling. Right, okay. All right, um, good question though, uh, Rosie, and really good analysis. Now, Martin wants a view. Scott on MNF Group, uh, they're a, a VoIP voiceover sort of internet uh, service provider. Uh, I noticed Motley Fool, you covered it yesterday on their 6% share price rise because mm -hmm. uh, they've announced agreement to sell part of its direct business to uh, a group called Vonix Limited. Yeah, and it's one of those companies that, you know, I, I desperately want to love, Koshi. It's a founder, a CEO, a guy who knows the ins and outs of the network, the system, the company, super agile, literally one of those businesses where the, the management get a look around and say, hey, there's an opportunity over there, let's go and get it. And let's go and do it because there's no bureaucracy, they can be that nimble and agile, they can just make those decisions and go after new bits of business. And they've done it pretty well reasonably, you know, kind of acquiring little bits of um, extra VoIP business, as you mentioned in the past, they bought Penitel and others in the past. They've tried to expand internationally in the wholesale telecommunications market simply because they figured there was an opportunity there. And if there was cheap assets going and they thought they could be worth more in the future, they should go and buy them. So I really like the business. I like what they're doing. I like what they're trying to achieve. The problem so far, at least, is this has been a bit of a gunner company where for all of the reasons why, you, you know, all the things you want, you go to a checklist, you go tick that, tick, 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 tick. The founder owner, well run, you know, conservatively ma managed balance sheet, um, you know, agile, nimble, great industry to be in, plenty of opportunity. And then you say, well, despite all that, where's the growth? Where's the long-term success? Yeah. What are they doing? And and I have to say right now, I just, I, I, I'm gonna not, I, I, you know, for all the reasons we should wanna buy something like this, I want to, but at the end of the day, it's the old Yogi Berra quote, right? Between, in theory, there's no difference between theory and practice, but in practice there is. And that's exactly one of these situations where you say, I, I've, I've seen enough, I want to see more, but until I see more, I'm simply going to say that it just doesn't pass the smell test. I'm going to wait for the returns to start to be delivered by the company before I jump into this one. Right. Okay. Mark? Um, okay. No, that's all reasonable. Right. Um, from a team invest point of view, um, M&F uh, has been a wealth winner for a long time. Right. I bought in about 10 years ago. I think it was something like that. Yeah. It was in the thir low, high 30s since. Right. So I've done really well on it. 
and I so thirty I've got, cents. Yeah. So wow. yeah, and, you've and, done really and well. Like since two thousand eighteen, it's been flat. Prior yeah. to that, it was growing at about eighteen percent a year, uh, all the way through. So, oh, which and then okay. the share price got up to eight dollars or something. So right. it's come back quite a way to five dollars. Yep. They've gone through what I would say is a consolidation period with the business. Uh, and I'm, I'm very, the, the, the notification of this sale today, I think is really good because what they're doing is they're simplifying the business to focus on what they do really well. Right. And it's not about um, voice over IP anymore. What they do is they provide connectivity to uh, Uber, Google and so on into our telco infrastructure and so on. So oh, when it, okay. like if you're an Uber, if, if you, when, you're on an, when you get a uh, Uber where it says you want to call the driver, that number is supplied by MNF. Uh-huh, so right. they're not one use numbers, but they're, they're basically, they recycle them all. So you right. don't, there's no way you can, right. uh, uh, it affects privacy and so on. Yep. So they provide all that infrastructure and connectivity. And apparently they do it as well. There's an American company that does it as well in the US, but there's no one in Asia. And uh, what their clients have told them, which includes Facebook and Google, all these guys, is that you, you establish these services through Asia, we'll, we'll, we'll give you all that we'll business. So that's what they're doing. Okay. So what they've done is they're, they're starting to uh, grow internationally. And I actually am very positive about it going forward in that I think now their earnings are going to go back. Rene Sugo, the founder CEO, is out, outstanding. And yeah. he said that, that, you know, that they're going to now start growing strongly again. So I'm going to say it's a buy. Right. At the moment, at, okay. uh, at five at five dollars at five forty, um, yep. and and I think the gunner issue is reasonable if you don't know the business in detail. But this comes back to that whole idea: you want to understand the businesses you're investing in. Right. Um, in fact, straight after this, I'm going to an, an analyst briefing with them. Oh, so okay. which will be great because yeah, we'll yeah. ask lots of questions and share it with our members. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Okay, yep. all right. So, if you want the update from the analyst briefing, yeah, to become a member. Yeah, of team that's right. Okay. <laughs> you can ask a question right. next that's week. That's what happens. All right. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, really interesting one there, um, mm. uh, Martin, and um, two good opinions on, on the company. Um, Mark Len wants a view on Medibank, um, the, uh, the health insurance uh, group. Len says it's not doing, doing very much and hasn't for a while. Uh, what do the experts think of it? <clears throat> uh, private health insurance of... Uh, insurers have had a tough time, uh, although yeah. NIB got um, a good rap a couple of weeks ago yeah. here on, well, on the call. NIB is the one we like, right? Yeah, so that's a that, that's a uh, uh, virtually a founder led, uh, it's a founder founder mentality business with Mark right. Fitzgibbons, who's yep. an excellent CEO. Yeah, Medibank. You've had Medibank um, is. Um, uh, Midibank Private is an okay company. This is a we class. This is a mediocre business. Right. Uh, you're not going to lose. You're not going to lose your shirt as long as you don't pay too much for it. But right. its EPS growth is running at 1.8, so it's it's very very flat but quite stable. Right. Now 1.8 is like lower than inflation, arguably. Right. So I would say it's it actually pays a reasonable dividend yield. Yep, yep, it? yep. So it pays out. Uh, what does it uh, pay out uh, percentage wise? I saw it in the um, uh, power ratio. Uh, in, the, in the top 20 dividend payers of this okay, just okay. the other right. day. So, so, it so. Is, it's producing a dividend. So then it comes down to how much you pay for it. Yeah. At the moment, the PE is 23.8, which is just on the borderline bet- uh, at about 75% of its normal trading range. So wow. it's not cheap. Yeah. And the effect of that is that our calculations say you're going to get about 3.6% a year return, including the dividend. That's total return. Okay. So that would be assuming minor capital erosion probably right. over time plus yeah. your dividend yeah so it's not it's not fantastic yeah. but if you if you're saying i can only get one percent in the bank and i want a safe it's not going to go broke business yeah. and you know then you could buy it but look if you bought it a bit lower um so if, if you want a 10 percent return for instance you could pay you wouldn't need you would want to pay more than 
two dollars thirty three, which is currently three dollars fourteen. So right, but you know that that that'll happen. So two thirty three, <coughs> it was down about two years ago. Yep. By the yep. look of it, you might get another chance. But obviously, as you go down from where it is now, your returns going up. Right. Yeah. So you know, if you bought it at probably two eighty or something, you'd be talking six percent. Right. Which so I'm, all I'm saying is, you're going to get three percent if you buy yeah, it now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Scott, what do you think about Bank? Yeah, I'll agree with you guys first on Mark Fitzgibbon. I've, I've said before, probably last time we chatted, he, he is, I think, the most underrated ASX 200 CEO uh, today. I think he's a really, really good CEO, but NIB doesn't get a lot of attention. I don't know if it's health insurance or Newcastle or something. Uh, we don't tend to pay a lot of attention. The the Medibank problem is, is the, the, the business that it's in and the fact it's government regulated. When you're the health minister of, of whatever stripe, so this is not a political comment, you're the one who's got to say, yes, you can have that health premium increase. And frankly, every media outlet from door to door covers the fact that health insurance go up X percent and Minister Smith yeah. said that was okay. So if you're the health minister, it may be, you know, maybe the right of politics is a little bit more inclined to give a bit more, maybe left's a little bit less inclined, but overall, none of them want to give the increases they don't have to give. So they're going to be basically cap any increases to what they deem absolutely necessary and no more to keep the sector going. And if that's true, that means your margins are effectively capped you can't really, if you start making too much money, the minister's gonna look at you and say, why would I give you a premium increase? Look how much money you're making. Um, that is not capitalism, of course, that's that's kind of a regulated market, but that's what we do with utilities, what we do with a whole lot of other areas. I don't think it's necessarily unreasonable, but it means I wouldn't want to invest in the business. Now, why do we like NIB or why do I like NIB? Because it's basically taken all that wonderful cash flow from the health insurance business and put it everywhere else. So it's put it into uh, medical tourism, it's put it into international students, international workers, it's bought businesses in New Zealand, it's white labeling insurance for Qantas. Um, Medibank, it's, it's a really, as, as Mark said, mediocre is probably good, moderately okay is another way to put it. It's a, it's a perfectly fine business. But yeah. as investors, fine businesses tend not to give you market beating returns. And I don't blame them, they're, they're, they're genuinely stuck. They're in a business where the margins are effectively capped, where growth is effectively capped because the overall market's not growing that fast. Maybe you steal a couple of share points, maybe you lose a couple of share points. Um, but realistically, this is just a business that doesn't go anywhere fast and make a lot of money any any quicker. Uh, and so it's just one that you'd happily leave on the shelf. Okay. All right. Um, now, speaking of um, companies <laughs> that haven't gone anywhere fast except backwards uh, in recent times, A2 Milk, L wants a view on that. Um, she says, can you please ask the panel about A2 Milk? Uh, they put a buy on it when the share price had dropped substantially a while back, but the PE was still pretty high. Uh, the share price has been falling ever since. I bought it before <coughs> Mark's recommendation of $13, and it's lower than that now. Uh, the PE is still pretty high, even though the share price has fallen so much. Does the panel think the company's earnings can fully recover to pre-COVID levels within five years, or have competitors started munching their turf too much worldwide and in China. There you go. Earl certainly invested in this one. Mark, you all mentioned in it. So I know, well, I, I don't like the bit about Mark recommended <laughs> because I didn't like recommend I it. Did. No, no, what I did though is I said I bought it yeah. and I paid ten twenty. Right. Now remember yeah. it was $20. Yes. So it came down um, uh, on the coronavirus initial right. reaction yep. to 10, which I yep. thought was cheap. Now I liked yep. the business before that. Yep. Uh, the negatives on A2 is they've had quite a lot of management turmoil. Over the last two years, they've had three years, they've had two, two CEO changes. Yeah. The new one sounds good, but that's always a danger area because particularly if the company's stressed at the time as well. Yep. Um, so uh, that's an unknown. Uh, we spoke to management the other day. Uh, it's, a, this is a, it's a hard one to deal with. Yep. I'm still holding my shares. 
Uh, do I think the Christians wear? Do I think oh, Annie's can go back to? Them? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm a five. I'm, I'm, I'm. Well, we've discussed it in Team Invest. It's not widely yeah. held, so a lot of members right. don't have it at the moment. It's by far my worst performing company. I haven't had yeah. a company that's lost fifty percent in a long, long time. Years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's fifty percent down on paper. And what I was thinking about was whether I buy some more. Right. It's either a screaming bargain or it isn't. Yeah. That's where yeah. it's at at the moment. Yeah. And I don't know is the answer right. and I don't I don't have enough clarity uh, the problem is that they got smashed on the Dargao business yep. with uh, COVID because of and they're based most of the Dargao business was based out of Melbourne mm -hmm. there was a major uh, organization that uh, looked up managed all the Dargaos for the Chinese government taxes and all yep. that sort of stuff yeah Melbourne yeah so it's been totally creamed with yep. corona lockdowns now, now Dargaos are the the private Chinese buyers that you usually <laughs> Uh, traditionally, many of them were Chinese students oh, and, well. and tourists, and, and tourists yeah. who would just load up on A2, students, yeah, students. yeah, yeah, and send it back home for a higher price, and that paid for their education. And, and that, that was a massive business for uh, Blackmores as well, by the yeah. way. You know, so yeah. it's surprising. You look at these companies and say, how can they rely on a business like that as a primary income source, where it seems so concocted, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. But the reality yeah. is, it was, it is they what it what, it is what it is. And they made the comment that that market established A2 in China. Yep. Because the, what it did is it built their profile up. Yep. And then they got the retail distribution. They're in 2,200 stores. That's going well mm -hmm. um, in, in China. Uh, but the whole Daigao thing's virtually gone to nearly zero at the yep. moment. Uh, and that's the biggest impact. So their earnings have got smashed. Yep. And then they also wrote off $90 million worth of stock. Uh, because it wasn't up to the use by date, but they've got to, obviously they've got to be careful on how they manage the brand. They're yeah. a premium product, yeah, yeah. so they tra they destroyed ninety million dollars worth. That's straight off the bottom line. Wow. This is all why the earnings are down. Now the good side of it, the company is they they have a fantastic brand. They've got um, uh, they've got a lot of cash in the business as well. No debt, oh. so I don't feel like I'm at risk of losing my money yeah. overall. Uh, and I do expect it to come back, but I don't think they'll come back at anything like the growth rate they had prior to Corona. Right. They were growing at about thirty percent a year. Yeah, EPS, yeah, yeah. which is why, which justified that justified the high PE. Yeah, and yeah. they had five hundred million dollars in cash. Yeah. You know what's wrong with that story? Yeah. Now you know the earnings have come off heavily, uh, and the question is, what are they going to come back to as we open up? I think yeah. they'll come back to some degree, but I would give them say ten percent growth right. going forward. Um, you know, to be safe. I'm being yeah. conservative here. I'm not predicting 10. Yeah. And if I give them 10 just for, the, just for fun, uh, I'll tell you what the price should be. So 10, I'm going to give them 10% growth and I'm going to give them a PE of 26. Okay, so that's being generous as well. Uh, that gives me a return of 23.95% right. over five years. So in other words, if, if uh, A2 milk gets to increase a growth of their earnings at 10% a year off where it is now, yep. then it's cheap. Okay. All right. See what I mean? That's so the problem. You're, you're saying a bit unpredictable. Well, it's now. very unpredictable. I don't, yep. and they, they can't, they can't yep. uh, give us any comment really that would make us feel more confident about it. And yep. we have the management issues. Right. We don't know what the new CEO is You're holding like. on to your stock. Yeah. Okay. Scott? I'm holding mine as well, Koshi. I'm an owner. <laughs> we have recommended this one as well. So, uh, well, let, let, let's put that up, up front. To Mark's point, this is this is exactly one of those cases where it's either overvalued or it's really cheap. It's one or the other. There's almost no excuse me, no reasonable you know uh, basis for it to be the current price. The question really is, to Mark's point, whether or not and how quickly the Daigu trade comes back. And to Elle's question, 
it, is, it, is it inside five years? If I was a betting man, I'd say it probably is within five years, assuming that we all find a way to deal with COVID and live with COVID in one form or another. Now, there may be circumstances in which we don't have international tourists till 2026. And in that circumstance, I'd say the, the upside is relatively limited. The odds of that being the case, though, I think are also very limited. And so if you kind of play this forward and work on most likely sets of outcomes, um, I think we end up with international tourists. We end up with international students. The Daigao business restarts in, in one form or another. The, what I think was surprising to most people, and certainly me when I bought the shares at a higher price, is that this is a business that we had thought had a stronger Australian business, as in mm. two Australian residents, Australian citizens, Australian consumers, and also a stronger Chinese business. And it turns out neither was true. So I have no no qualms in saying I overestimated the quality of this business. I didn't understand fully, didn't appreciate fully how reliant it was on those Daigu businesses out of Australia. And to Mark's point, Blackmore's A2 Milk are both in the same case. I actually think they're both cheap. They're both buyers for me. I own both. Um, and it is because I do expect that recovery to happen. Now, it may not. And as always, part of a diversified portfolio, right? I'm not saying go on Philly Boots with A2 or Blackmore's. But if you think about the considerations of what got it to this point or the point it was before the crash, and then extrapolate that forward and say, do none of those really come back? Is this as really as good as it ever gets for A2 Milk in the next three, five, seven, ten 10 years? I think it's really unlikely this is the best it gets. Now, while they're out of China, maybe other brands take over. Maybe there are changes to the market. Maybe the ongoing geopolitical dramas with China do taint Chinese consumers and Chinese retailers' demand for Australian products. Those are all yeah. true and they're all real risks. I gotta say at the current price though, um, it's it's still a buy for me, really honestly, because I think the upside over time, I don't know where it goes in the short term, right? It could be super volatile, probably will be, but I think the upside, if and when some, most or all of the Chinese business comes back, is somewhere back towards the previous price. Now, I expect the market will probably put some sort of, you know, uh, premium discount, if you like, it's like, you don't want to say a premium discount. The, yeah. the fact that, you know, that it probably isn't as premium a business as we previously thought, maybe the market says, look, it's worth 10 or 20% less than it used to be, fair enough. Is it worth, on those numbers, two-thirds less? I very, very much doubt it, unless circumstances really remain this bad for a very long time. Okay. Can, so, I, can I add to that? Uh, for Elle, at least yeah. she knows that we're both suffering as well. Right. Yeah, so she's not in <laughs> yeah, alone. Right. It's but not much of a consolation for her. No, no, no. But the yeah. me message to Elle, yeah. who's in A2 milk, yeah. is to hold on. Yeah, yeah. and I'm going to uh, go buy with Scott, because I think I'm balanced. You're going to go buy as well. Yeah, I'm not buying any more myself at the right. moment. But right. if you want to take, accept the fact there's a fair bit of risk, the risk-reward ratio is probably, I think it's pretty good. Okay. Uh, I think you could easily go back to $10 as soon as they, all they need is a bit of good news or right. when we open up. It might take yep. two years. It wouldn't be five years. Right. Her question was, will it within five years? I would say so, highly likely. Okay. Yeah. All right. So a yes for yeah. A2 milk. Yeah, put it, in, uh, put it on their list. Okay. Yeah, put it in the calls portfolio. All right, uh, Scott, Peter wants a view on Monodelphus, the uh, uh, big mining services uh, group. Peter says <coughs> had, a, had a big drop recently, stocks hurt by cost inflation, as well it's hard to find qualified people. But Peter has noticed an insider who previously had just under 3,000 shares purchased over 30,000 shares on the 18th and 19th of May and paid 300 grand for it. Um, I think that the, uh, the insider believes one Adelphus stock prices hit the bottom at $10 per share short term. Uh, Peter, you've done your homework. We love these questions um, where people have passion in the stocks and be following. Um, what do you think of Monodelphus? 
Yeah, cracking question, cracking, cracking rationale too. I will say really clearly, no one puts three hundred grand down to, to to you know to try and do some window dressing or to, or to try and make yeah. things look pretty. That is a definite show of confidence. I completely agree. Where I will take not exception to Peter's question, but what I want to add some color to is it's really really rare that company insiders also are really, really good at timing the market. So when Peter says, you know, you see the $10 $10 bottom in the share price in the short term, you know, I don't don't know that, particularly insiders in general, I mean, share traders whose day job it is struggle to do that well, um, if at all. Company execs or company insiders who are, you know, love the company anyway, I don't doubt that the, the person buying thinks it's worth buying. I think that's absolutely clear. I just would, I would just caution people to say, ah, oh, they must know something. They must know the share price is going to go up. We people often forget the company is the company, the share, the market is the market. Sometimes the two track in, uh, track in parallel. Really frequently though, they don't, particularly in short and medium terms. So just be a little bit careful about what you're expecting from the share price. I don't know any company. I've worked for so many different public companies and private companies, CEOs, managing directors, boards of directors. They don't know where the share price is going. They might know the business is cheap or think it's cheap. But it doesn't mean they know where the price is going in the in the shorter medium term. So okay. just put that one aside. Monodelphus in general, I've I struggle to, to to make this one a buy. Now Mark knows this better than I do, so I'm looking forward to hearing his commentary. But if you look at the track record over the last ten years of earnings, and then unsurprisingly the return on equity during that period, it's just been a really, really tough time to try and get profitable growth. In fact, it's been profitable decline or unprofitable decline. They've, they've lost something like two thirds or three quarters of their profit over the last seven or eight financial years. Mm. Um, now, that was a boom time. No one disagrees with that. But the trend has been really, really ugly. Now, you either say I'm a contrarian investor, as Peter says, share price at a low, maybe it's time to go back up, maybe the business starts to improve, maybe all those things happen. But I think you got to, it, it takes a bit of guts at this point to, to really look at the business track record and say, I can see why this will necessarily be the bottom. Because we could have said that two years ago, five years ago, seven years ago. Surely it can't fall much further. We would have spent the last five or seven years seeing the earnings just drift away and drift away and drift away. Now, the share price has been super volatile at the same time, by the way. It's been all over the place. Um, it's been up and down, you know, two-thirds up, three-quarters down a couple of times during that 10-year period, despite the fact that earnings keep drifting away. And that's largely coming down to investor sentiment. And again, back to Peter's point or Peter's question, sentiment can drive so much of your short and medium term returns. It's very, very hard to look at a business and say, it must therefore turn around and the share price must therefore turn around from this point. Too hard for me. I'm going to leave this one on the shelf. Yep. Mark? Uh, <clears throat> now, this is a business I, I used to be a significant investor in. Uh, I sold it out in 2012 because we actually did very well in the mining services area through the commodities boom, right. which was the construction phase. Yeah. And then they, including Rob Valletri, who's the CEO of Monodolphus, were telling us it was all going to come to a, a nasty end because and of oversupply. Right. <clears throat> and the media and everyone at the time was saying, super cycle, and this is not coming to an end as China, as China goes down. I don't, <laughs> as China goes down, India is going to come up and this is going to go on for, oh, it's going to be generational. That's yeah. what they said. Yeah, yeah. And they're all telling us, Mm-mm. No, no. Just look at what's happening. This is yeah. the amount of capacity coming on stream. This is demand capacity coming on demand. Right. You know, it's it always happens. Yep. Okay. So that happened. So I haven't been an investor since they peaked in two thousand and thirteen. Their earnings were about a dollar seventy five, I think. Now they're forty cents. Yeah. Um, quality management, brilliantly run business. I'd say it's the best engineering company in the country. Wow. Uh, but they've they have not been able to capitalize on what seems to be a growing market again now. So they had a little period there where their earnings jumped uh, for in uh, 2018 and the PE rocketed. Right. So what happened was the decline was going down, suddenly it turned up and, oh, oh, I'll buy Monodelphus now because it's now, and then what happened? It turned down again. Right. And then the last three years, or last two years down, three years in flat. 
yeah. but it's on a very, very high PE, which is not justified by the earnings because okay. the earnings rate, earnings rate is actually negative 16% a year. Right. So I couldn't, how can you buy it? Yep, exactly. Um, but quality company, uh, it's not cheap. And the returns we're showying are negative 12% a year. That's how okay. overvalued it is. That's fairly ugly. And if you want to buy it to get a 10% return, which I'd, I'd say really is would be the least you'd want from a contractor, uh, you can't pay more than... Three dollars thirty-five, and it's currently ten dollars yeah. something. Ten twenty. It's a long way from there. Yeah. So All quality right. company, way overvalued for okay. that. All right. Thank you for that suggestion. Let's quickly re- recap. <coughs> uh, first five stocks. Stock of the day. Mad Pauls. No. Too small. Doesn't have a track record. Altium sell at these prices. Uh, MNF a no from uh, Scott. A yes from Mark. Uh, Medibank a no from both. Uh, preferences NIB. A two milk. A yes at these low prices from both Montadelphus, a no. Um, here at the call, we have our own fantasy portfolio. We've been tracking since the 1st of July, thanks to our partner, NabTrade. Um, any stocks or ETFs that get two thumbs up, like A2 Milk, uh, has received, goes into the portfolio. If the stock comes up again, even in front of a different panel and doesn't get unanimous approval, it goes out. If we take a look at how the... Fantasy portfolio has been going for the week down 0.3% for the month, up 3%. And since the 1st of July, up 32.5%. Some of the stocks recently added. New Hope Corporation, uh, Santos, GPT Group, Bigger Cheese and Nine Entertainment. Some of the stocks removed. IntelliHR, Omni Bridgeway, Pacific Smiles and Event Hospitality. If you want to see all the stocks in the course portfolio, head to forward slash portfolio. And uh, coming up later today is Superloop Chief Executive Paul Tyler. Uh, That's as the company confirms it will acquire Australia's largest private internet service provider, Exitel. Paul is coming up at 1.15. All right, let's get into uh, the second five stocks. And um, if we, Chris wants a view, Mark, on Capril. Uh, It's in the manufacturing, marketing, distribution of... uh, Aluminium products um, used in the in the building game. What do you think of? Um, I'd never heard of it before. Yeah. It's not very big. It's 125 mil market cap. Um, I mean, it's been around for um, uh, quite a while. It's not. It's not. A, this is not a newcomer. Yeah. Um, its growth rates are only at about 6.6 percent average over the last uh, six years, which is okay. You know, it's not uh, uh, not uh, anything to be worried about. Um, it doesn't pass our filters on. Uh, just have a look. Um, return on equity and return on capital are down in the six and seven percent, which right. is which is is a fail for us. And they've also got quite high debt at eighty one percent debt to equity, which is also not good. Uh, return wise, we're showing it returning three point nine percent a year average over the next five years. Uh, and the PE, interestingly enough, is fourteen point two, and that is at the very top of its range. Oh, okay. So so if you go, what's the bottom quartile? It's seven point seven. Right. So this this is a stock that has ne- doesn't trade on a high high PE which is by the way rational yeah because yeah, it should yeah. be on a PE like that right um, and of course if you could if you, if you want a 10% return on on this one you would you could you'd have to buy it for no more than um, $5.71 which is not that far off where it is you know it's, right. it's, it's definitely okay. feasible so it's an okay okay company if it doesn't pass our baselines Scott Capril it's a, I think Mark's exactly right. I think it's a challenging business at the best of times. You're in, you're in aluminium, right? And the price of both aluminium and alumina 
um, the, the mineral, not the company, it is just all over the place. If you look at the earnings track record of this business, it's not even, it's not even cyclical, it's just completely volatile. It goes from loss to profit, back to loss. Uh, it make more money one year, less money the next year, more the year after. It's just a really, really difficult business to try and draw a line through it. As I said, it's not, it was cyclical. You could say, okay, well, cycles are this long. Here's the average earnings. Make some sort of educated guess. Um, I'm not a big fan of cyclicals in general, by the way, but if you were going to, that's how you might do it. Um, Capital is just a really, really tough business to try and get a straight beat on. Um, as I, and that's even before you look at the commodity prices themselves. It's probably going to do okay if governments continue to support the aluminium sector as one of their kind of favorite uh, hobby horse kind of sectors they love to, to throw money at, of both stripes. Again, I'm not being political here, just, just the reality of politics. Yeah. Um, so maybe there's something that underpins the business. But again, you don't want to rely on government largesse as an investment case. And even then, as Mark said, it's traded on a reasonably ordinary PE. The flip side, of course, of, of a low PE is if you're getting a decent dividend yield and you get to reinvest that low PE for an extended period of time, we know from the likes of Altria, for example, the business that used to be Philip Morris, a cigarette company, part of its long term, it was the best performing company in the US market for half a century, largely because the peak is so low for so long, the reinvested dividend right. just made you a small fortune. Um, so you can do okay with businesses that remain at low PEs on that basis, but you want something more stable, more more solid than what's obviously a very, very volatile business in capital. I'm sure they're doing their best. I'm sure the management team are, are a bit like airlines, you know, doing their level best just to keep the thing alive and afloat and making some money over the cycle. Uh, but that's just not a good enough reason to invest in it. Again, you know, no matter how good the management is, if the, if the company's not great, if the industry's tough, you just don't want to be invested in it. So I'm sure. giving this one a miss. Got to look at the fundamentals. All right, uh, Scott, Ralph wants a view on the uh, medical diagnostics uh, company, Sonic Healthcare. Uh, Ralph says the chief executive of Sonic presented at the recent ASA conference, uh, Shareholders Association conference. I was very impressed. Can I have an opinion on, uh, on Sonic? It's a really interesting business, Sonic. It's one of those companies that looks really cheap right now. The P is 13 and a half times. Um, dividend, I think, was five-ish from memory. I'd have to double-check that number. Yeah. Um, it's it's a sort of business that you'd kind of go, well, hang on, it's a really decent option as a bottom draw stock. You know, we're looking at banks or utilities or uh, grocers. You kind of go, okay, medical diagnostics, aren't we going to have more and more diagnostic testing in years to come? Probably. Is Sonic not going to have a reasonable share of that? Probably. I won't do more rhetorical questions. I sound like Kevin Rudd. Uh, but you get, you get the broad <laughs> idea. It's um, it's one of those situations where, you know, for, for a for a risk-averse investor, something like Sonic should be a good option. The problem is even based on that share price chart, if you go back over the five-year chart, it's just been a really bumpy ride for Sonic. It's one of those companies that probably would do better not necessarily as a private company, but as a business that is yeah. is kind of run almost for cash. You know, just just forget the growth ambition, forget the the high and mighty. Don't try and be anything you're not. Just literally run this business for cash. You put patients in, patients out. You make a margin on the test. Just do as many of those as you can. Keep costs down. You know, pull your horns in on on aspirations. Just get the business done. The long term has been okay, and the, the, that share price chart looks pretty good overall. <laughs> if you've been able to withstand the, the serious volatility over that time, it has been a business that had to spin off and acquire and spin off and acquire different businesses. It's been a bit of a hard, hard to pin down. On that baseline, I'm probably going to give it a miss, but I probably would put give it a tick for income investors. If you're looking for something, as I regularly say, <clears throat> most income investors have 60% of their portfolio in banks, right? And I just think that's a, a horrible, horrible concentration to have. So if you're looking for something that has a, a, a defensive-ish perspective, it's still volatile. So I'm not saying one that doesn't move around share price-wise. I'm just saying one that is a defensive business, underlying business. This is probably one you'd consider adding to your portfolio. And at 13 times earnings, 13 and a half, it's a pretty good way to do it. 
Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. This is a $16 billion company, so it's not small. Wow. Um, it actually, it, it, it fails on return on capital, which is 6.8 for us, which we want 10, and debt's a bit higher, so at 82, but not massive, you know, so there's a, and that's probably from acquisitions, I would suspect. Right. And maybe warehousing, I don't know what other assets they've got. I don't know the business in detail, but just looking on the numbers, the good news about it is the PE at the moment's in the bottom quartile of its range. So wow. it's, uh, it's actually on, um, uh, I'm showing 17, but I'll, uh, you know, Scott's got 13, I believe that. Uh, that's. Uh, in the middle of the green, which is bottom court, half of the bottom 25%. So that's good because that means, you know, we don't actually get many chances to buy companies in that right price because they'll tend to, they'll tend to, uh, you'll pick it up as the, it normalizes back to what it normally is. Right. So uh, to get into the red, it's 21.8. So it's, it does, it has a fairly tight range anyway, you'd say. Yeah. We're showing it returning about 13% a year over the next five years. It's EPS growth running at currently at about 5.6. So it's not stellar. But it's okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's okay, and it's pretty consistent. Although it's jumped up fairly right. heavily, trailing twelve months. Okay. So they've had a good they've had a good uh, period for the last twelve trailing twelve months. I don't. I haven't spoken to them. I don't know why that is. And is that sustainable, or is that some abnormal one-off type thing? I don't sure. know. Or is it a corona effect? Right. Okay. Um, but it looks pretty good. I mean, if you, as Scott said, if you're an income investor and you want something, we wouldn't buy it for Team Invest. It's not exciting enough for us. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, is AFT Pharmaceuticals exciting? For you, AFT, AFT. Um, Pharmaceuticals. Lachlan wants a view. The uh, pharmaceutical business range of products both developed itself and licensed from third parties. Uh, Christoderm, Coco Scalp, Maxi Jesic, they say. Um, Catch your um, name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they sell over-the-counter prescription and through hospitals as well. Uh, yeah, no, and the reason is um, it's not. Uh, it's got 430 mil market cap, and it's been going for six years. So it's not. Yeah. It's not a, a tiddler. Uh, the trouble is, it uh, doesn't look like it's got any earnings. Uh, I, I, yeah, sorry, sorry, I'll take it back. Uh, it's earning earnings per share are about um, uh, earnings per share uh, seven cents, right. and the growth rate is showing as zero. So there's no, I don't know why that is. I don't know the business in detail. Right. Um, and I can't do any predictions on returns because it's got no stability in earnings. Okay. So Scott, uh, AFT Pharmaceuticals. This is one I'm not going to say yes to, Koshi, but I'm going to put it firmly on the watch list. I don't know the business super well, I have to say. I've done a little bit of research on it in the past and I brushed up again this morning when we knew it was on the list. It's, if you look at the track record of both revenue and profits over the five years it's been listed, it's actually been a really impressive, well, it, it's, it's on the right trajectory, put it that way. So over the last five years, sales per share has gone from 65 cents to $1.01 and steadily increasing 65, 77, 84, $1.06. The earnings over that period of time, to Mark's point, they lost 18 cents a share the first year they were listed. Then it was a 10 cent loss, then a one, sorry, then a 13 cent loss, a two cent loss, a three cent profit, and a seven cent profit. So if you, right. if you kind of keep those numbers in your head, you're seeing a really steady, stable increase from what was probably early listing. Again, I don't know the, the history of this well enough. Probably early listing when it was loss making with lots of promise and lots of expectation. Um, to some degree, I think it's fair to say some of that's being delivered. Now, the P is still 46 times, so I'm not going to buy the shares. It's not growing that fast that you want to jump into this one before you miss out. It's going to be, it's a pharmaceutical business. It's going to grow moderately. It, look, if you, were, if you were asking for a business and said, look, if you looked at it five years ago and said, hey, sales are this, revenue is uh, good, we're losing money, what do you expect over the next five years? If you'd said, look, keep growing revenue steadily, get yourself slowly out of loss into profit as you build scale, 
I think I find it really, really hard to fault this business. It's exactly the trajectory you would ask them to to deliver on. So okay. I'm going to keep an eye on this one. I, I said I, it's 46 times earnings. We don't know whether the trajectory can continue. None of those brands are particularly wonderful brands or market leading brands in a way where you'd say, look, there's so much brand power here, it's inevitable. So you want to be a little bit cautious when you're in those sort of circumstances. But it's definitely one based again based on those on that number of the trajectory. <clears throat> management just seems to be a really, really good job of building a solid base and getting continual yearly incremental improvement. I said, it's all you can ask for them, and so this is one I'd definitely mm. keep an eye on, and maybe okay. in a year or two's time, might we on for the buy all list. Right. All right, put it on your watch list for, for that period. Now, James Scott uh, wants a view on Charter Hall Group, the uh, the big property managers. It looks really expensive right now, Koshy. 25 times earnings on, on the numbers I've got, and I'm still not convinced that we've seen the last of what's happening with property out of COVID. Now, if you're a... If you're, if you're an everything goes back to normal sort of person uh, and you're seeing some prices in property that look too cheap, maybe you want to jump in. Now, that, that chart shows us <laughs> the time to jump in isn't now, and I think that's absolutely yeah. right. But it still relies on the world, and I don't mean, I don't mean from a COVID, purely COVID perspective, but the, the work from home, the shop from home, the, you know, the, the, our habits and behaviours, to some degree, most of them go back to some degree of normal. We will, by the way, go back to record air travel at some point. Um, if someone's saying it's not going to happen, I'll take the other side of that every day and twice on Sunday. We will go back to the shops. We will go back to work in some form. But we already know that some of the big banks are downsizing their real estate holdings because they're saying, well, some people will come back to work most of the time. Well, most people will come back some of the time. But you're not going to have necessarily your own desk to be hot desking. You're not necessarily yeah. going to go to the shops as frequently because to buy wine or, you know, that sort of stuff. And so if I look at any of these REITs, I'm, I'm, I've got to say maybe they're fine and maybe they're attractive. Again, even at 25 times, and I think that's true for Charter Hall, by the way. But just, you know, maybe even because of that. You're paying a, an above average, you know, price for a business that really has those really fundamental structural risks to its business. I'm not someone who says we'll never go back to work. I'm not someone who says we'll never go back to the shops. We'll absolutely do both in some form. But if it's a little bit less than it was, we know property um, valuations mm. are so desperately leveraged to full tenancies uh, or full utilizations. Yeah. Mm. And if you drop back from 195 or 88 or 86, that that's that's pretty much the difference between a profit and a meaningful loss. Uh, and so I'm just going to keep an eye on this one. If I miss the opportunity, miss the upside, so be it. Not too worried about that. I don't want to be there if I'm right and we don't go back to normal. Then these guys have to resize their businesses and potentially write down some valuations to get back to normal. Okay. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with what uh, Scott said. You know, anything I'd add is that the uh, the numbers actually on our system, it actually passes all our filters. Uh, but there's the underlying assumption. Remember, what computer programs do is they look at all the numbers. Yeah, yeah. And ours is all based on historical over the last six years and so on, which has been very reliable for us. But as Scott said, the corona effect on valuations, because all the property REITs, the issue is the cap rate on what the property is valued at is very dependent on what the rental yields are. Yep. So the thing with this is it's priced as if everything's back to normal and everything's fine right. and there's been no impact. Yep. Therefore, yep. the risk is to the downside. Yep. Uh, it's also the very, very top of its PE range at 21.7. Okay. That's like record high PE. It needs to be down at 13 to get into the bottom quartile. Right. So there's no way I would buy it because I think the risk reward the is not, the, the, it's against you. Right. Yeah. Okay. Nothing wrong with the company. All right. Yeah. Uh, our final stock, uh, Mark from Jasper, is Capital Health, uh, diagnostic imaging uh, company in the uh, healthcare market, uh, based in Melbourne, operates uh, and owns clinics throughout metropolitan Melbourne, regional Victoria, Tasmania, and Western Australia. Yes, uh, it's a, a few, com- few of these companies. Yeah, this is a this is a roll up. 
Uh, so what they did is they bought up radiology clinics right. and so on and put it all together, which okay. we used to like this a long time ago. Uh, I haven't looked at it for years. Yeah. Uh, they, they got into trouble and we decided we didn't like it anymore. Uh, and it's got worse since then now that I'm, you know, someone's asked about it and I've had a look at it. Right. <laughs> so, so its earnings um, were growing nicely up to 2015, which is what often happens with a roll-up model because what they do is they buy a private practice on a multiple, say, of four or five, and they're, they're listed at a multiple of 16 on the, yep. or 18, so yeah. they immediately, it's earnings accretive. So if they're, let's say they buy it at five and you're on 10, it doubles yep. your earnings. Yeah. The valuation doubles on uh, for you, the effect. Yeah. So it's a really good model as long as you can keep the ball rolling. Babcock and Brown used to be that model. Ah, you know, for, right. uh, not, yes, not, yes. not Babcock and Brown, um, uh, uh, ABC, right. childcare. Yep. Yeah, that was the same, same model. Yeah, they buy them. Sort of steadfast does it in the insurance. Bit, dif- bit different. You know, that's a, that's a, right. yeah, that's a, lot, a lot safer the way they do right. it. Yep. But we found roll-up models tend to go well initially and then they usually go pear-shaped because what happens okay. is you either get more competitors coming in who bid up the values of the private companies and they don't, you know, so then they're paying more and yep. they use debt. They yep. tend to go, they, de- they tend to end up going badly. It's not, there are exceptions. Um, anyway, they drop right down to making virtually nothing in 217, then up a bit, then a big profit up, then down, down again yeah. at 220. And if you look at the numbers, they're also on 51 PE and, we, and the, uh, the earnings growth rate average over the last six years, which brings all that up and yeah. down in, minus 6% a year. Okay. So the earnings are going on a, on a negative trend and it's on a really high PE. So you'd have to be, you'd have to be really excited about the future prospects of this business to want to, to buy it. it. And I've got red everywhere on all our metrics. Okay. All right, Scott, are you excited at, at this level? <laughs> I wish I could be just for the sake of disagreeing for the, for the, for the program, <laughs> question, but I can't. Uh, look, it's, it's 22 times earnings that, as Mark said, have really been uninspiring in, in recent years. The roll-up, look, there are people who, who hate roll-ups as a matter of course. I'm not one of those people. I think they can be really, really useful. But if you hit a, a, a speed limiter in terms of either the size you already are, that is, the new acquisitions can't make enough difference, or as Mark's already mentioned, the price you've got to pay to make those acquisitions, then your business model doesn't exactly fall over, but you've got to be careful how much as an investor you're prepared to pay. Organic growth always wins and always should win. Acquisition growth can win if it's done really well and from a low base and, and, and you can do it particularly nicely. The other problem with these guys is that acquisitions don't necessarily add a heap of scale. You might get a little bit of extra buying power, you might get a little bit of savings in administrative costs, but the reality is that the work that needs to be done is you rent a premise, you put some staff in, you rent or buy some expensive machinery, and so yeah, you skim a little bit of profit, but there's no obvious scale to be generated, or at least not a large proportion of scale, particularly as you get larger. Your acquisitions just can't make enough difference to really make a difference, and so it comes down to the price you pay. And, and if you're not paying a, a low enough price or low enough price simply isn't available, you've got to fall back to organic growth. When you get to that point, the problem here is if you're at a, at a facility level, a clinic level, how do you get more people into an established facility if it's already at full utilization? You kind of can't, right? You, maybe you can drive some more patients there rather than somewhere else. Maybe there's some more macro growth. But again, once you hit capacity, you have no choice but to buy something or build something else and the scale starts to work against you. So if you don't have natural scalability at a unit level, those unit level economics we talk about, that makes it a really, really tough one. Now, I mentioned Sonic before, um, you know, also in the diagnostic business, but a yep. much, much bigger business in a very different place. Maybe capital eventually gets bought out. Maybe someone eventually says, well, we'll tuck you in. Um, there's any every every possibility the share price ends up higher for a dozen different reasons. But at 22 times earnings without a natural... <clears throat> particularly attractive business model that lends itself to scaling growth, um, it's a really hard one for me to buy at the current price. Okay. Half the price, we're talking about it. This price, I can't go near it. Okay. All right. Let's uh, recap the final five stocks. Uh, Capral, a no. 
Sonic um, for defensive investors may be looking for a, um, a reasonable income return. Maybe it's an option for you. AFT Pharmaceutical, a no from Mark, a watch from Scott Charterhall, a no at these prices. And the same with Capital Health. Uh, Scott Phillips from Motley Fool, great to see you, mate. Thank you kindly. Thank you, Jess. Good to be with you. And Mark Morland from Team Invest, always great to have I you. I agree. On great board. to be here. Thank you. Now, if you'd like any stocks um, for us to put to our panel, um, put them in an email, the call at ausbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. Uh, all the stocks in the calls portfolio, of which A2 Milk will be added today, uh, head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And of course, if you want to wrap up of the day of what's been happening on the markets in business, uh, subscribe to the newsletter. You get Scuddy's view. You get the link to the Close of Business podcast, links to the most popular videos and interviews during the day. You can subscribe osbiz.co forward slash the COB. Quick programming note later this afternoon, we'll be speaking live to Emmanuel Dat from Dat Capital as he gives you, the investor, all the tips to position your portfolio for the inevitable inflation play that's coming up that he says is already on us. He is, Emmanuel is with us at 1.40 p.m. So a lot happening here on Ausbiz throughout the afternoon. We'll be back after the break.